Hello there, lovely listeners. Welcome back to Time to Rebuild Shorts. Time to Rebuild Shorts is our mini episodes where we go back into the archives and look at the best bits of previous episodes. So today, we are going back to episode nine, the first gang member retirement plan. Uh, This is actually from part two of that double episode uh, where we speak to John Jackson. John Jackson is part of a group over in the United States that work with incarcerated men and women uh, all over the country, uh, running a program called Hustle 2.0, which looks at pretty much transferable skills and taking the skills that a lot of the of the people currently serving time over there have and um, and point them in a good direction, more to do with entrepreneurial conquests. So in this part of the conversation, we talk about an activity actually that they run in the prison called Step to the Line. They have CEOs and prisoners and they've got a line in the middle of the room. They face each other and then they step up to the line if the question that's asked relates to them and they've experienced it before. I won't go into it too much and I'll let the clip do the rest of the talking, but if you want to hear more of this clip, go back to episode nine, the first gang member retirement plan, uh, part two specifically. Thank you so much for coming and listening and hope you enjoy. You know, I always, you know, when I present and say to people and CEOs as well, like you're kidding yourself if you think your life or your family's life can't be changed in a moment. Yeah. It can. And a lot of it can be down to luck. And I know, you know, you're, you're dead right when you say, you know, five millimeters left or right and life could change, you know, for lots of people, many people that we speak to. But in their moments, you know, you're kidding yourself if you think that you're, you are, say you're fat, fat, I'm a father of, of kids. I don't know what my kids at the age of 18 or 19 aren't going to make a decision, you know, to get in a car to do something that, you know, that's, that, that might not even be their decision. It might be a group decision, but they're in that decision. They might get into a car, they might do that. And the consequences of that drive or the consequences of something that they do won't lead their life to be torn upside down in a, in a second. And not just their lives, their families' lives and, and so many, and, and, and it could be your victims' lives and so many lives, just suddenly their life changes. And it's just a moment. Yeah. But, you know, you can be quite lucky in them moments and you can learn from, as you say, or you can continue, as you say, to lean into them as well. But I'm a, I'm a big believer in that as well. And, and I've seen it firsthand. I've worked with young people in prison who've had a moment. You know, they've had everything behind them, good life, their families and so forth. And in a moment, a decision, it's all changed um, forever. Um, and they're doing well now, but it's always there. And they've had to come through adversity to get to where they are now as well. So I'm really, I really agree with that. I just wanted to say that because I think it's, it was a great point that you make and something that we, we feel very strongly here as well in the work that we do as well. It's just why we bring you know, people into, into prisons. D- did that activity, stepping up to the line, was that something that was brought in? Is that, was, that, was that happening at Pelican Bay? Because I've seen that in action. That is really interesting because that's where you see these CEOs and executives putting their guard down, really reflecting on their life, um, and 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 uh, and stepping up to the line. Do you want to explain a little bit of that? So um, how, how it kind of works and what comes out of it? Yeah, that's um, we did do that at Pelican Bay, and initially the officers and the administration of the prison didn't want it to happen because not that they didn't want it to happen. They were worried about what the outcome would be because you you bring up this exercise brings up a lot of emotions, a lot of your past, and. They're worried about how are these people who have been incarcerated for all these years going to respond and react when you ask these questions. But 
Kat does an amazing job of leading it. And I actually had the privilege of leading that exercise while I was at Pelican Bay and the one that you experienced uh, last week. And the questions are very simple, but you get to see what you have in common is the basis of the exercise. And you stand on the opposite. You stand, and in COVID, you won't do it anymore, but you stand six inches apart from one another. And then you take five steps back. And if something, if when a question is asked, if it is true for you, you will stand up and you don't, the rules are you don't look at the ground. You don't look, you don't close your eyes. You don't look above. You don't look around. You look the person across from you directly in the eyes. And you just, it's very awkward at first, but it's, it's just think of the last time you stared, stood and look at somebody in the eye for five, uh, 30 seconds and didn't break eye contact. It's very awkward. But once you lean into it, it become you are able to connect with that person and see them. And then a list of questions, you know, like uh, some of the questions that will bring you together are, I've had one too many to drink and got behind the wheel of a car. And almost every one of our CEOs and executives steps to the line. Because they, and all it takes is, you know, like you said, Mick, five millimeters to the left or five millimeters to the right, and you've taken out an entire family. You've killed it. You've killed someone, and you are in prison. You are on the. Uh, and now we what we try what it tries to exhibit is, you're standing six feet apart, but I mean you're standing six inches apart, and that's all it would have taken for you to be standing on the uh, not on the CEO side, but on the incarcerated person side. And I think it really hits home. And then to ask, then for the CEOs to see when we ask questions like, you know, I lost a loved one to gang violence. I heard gunshots in my neighborhood every day. I learned at the age of 18, I couldn't trust anyone. I learned that it was better to keep my feelings to myself and keep my mouth shut. All of our guys, all of our incarcerated guys if, that are listening to this right now, I'm pretty sure that they're, they'd be stand, they, I know they would be standing at the line for those. They heard gunshots in their neighborhood every day. They learned to keep their mouth shut. They learned before the age of 18 they couldn't trust anyone. They have engaged, they, you know, they, they've drank alcohol. They've used drugs. That they've lost loved ones to gang or criminal violence. They'll be standing at the line and saying these are true. And sometimes it, well, it, it forces the person standing there to think about, like, crap, I, I've had a pretty rough upbringing. It's no wonder I am where I am. And then every once in a while, you will see, you know, I've been incarcerated. And then you'll look across the line at the CEO or executive, and you'll see them standing at that line as well and be like, well, crap, that's, how is that? And, they, and then to see that they yeah, they were incarcerated as well. It may not have been for years and years and years, but to see while they had handcuffs placed on them as well. And I think the question that hits home the most for everybody is when they do the, when we do a countdown of the age I was first arrested. And the youngest I've seen is four years old. One of our guys was, he's on our writing team. We, you know, I was arrested before the age of 18, 17, 16. And you step off the line as your, your number is called off. And when you start getting to like seven, six, five, and then we, and you see that person standing there by them, by themselves. That's really like four years old. 
like this what we say is like this is america's a land of second chances and freedom and you're like how, imagine handcuffs small enough to fit around this the wrist of a four-year-old kid like how, how how do you arrest a four-year-old kid and we tell the volunteers or the ceos and executives like the color of your skin determines whether you get a timeout or you get handcuffs that size that's the difference you get into it you know you know, Billy over here gets into a fight on the playground. He gets a timeout. You know, a little black kid or a Mexican kid gets into a fight in the playground. He goes to juvenile. It's um extremely powerful activity. Um, and uh, yeah, would you know, would anyone having a look at as well? So, and yeah, you know, how can you fathom? putting handcuffs on a four-year-old like you know like even that thought process is crazy and it should be crazy for our listeners to be listening right now thinking thinking that just taking a second to think that that actually has happened not can has happened you know um it's just yeah mind-blowing that was the smooth Irish tones of Mick Cronin uh, and the legendary John Jackson I was there too but uh, I must have just been soaking it all in um, if you want to hear more of that episode, go to air, wherever you get your podcasts um, and look up episode nine, the first gang member retirement plan, part two. If you want more time to rebuild, uh, we have two great guys coming on the podcast next week, which is Young Victorian of the Year, Ahmed Hassan, uh, and his colleague, Hanad Hersey. So they're both from Youth Activating Youth, uh, which is a non-profit organization that assists disadvantaged multicultural young Australians re-engage in their community so it's a great episode and um and yeah again double episode because it was such a great conversation uh always thank you for listening please give us a follow uh, and also for any feedback or questions hit us up on the socials thanks